Welcome back to the CSP Elite Baseball Development Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Cressy, and this is episode 123. We've had a little run of big league guests, and we're actually going to break it up just a little bit. And today's guest is a recently retired big leaguer um, who had an awesome playing career, um, really developed an awesome reputation as a guy who kind of did whatever it took to help the team he was on, help them win. So just developed a really, really good perspective um, by the uh, end of his career and has done some cool stuff in retirement um, to help you know the next generation of players. So I'm excited to hear what he has talking about. And I think this is something that will really benefit coaches and players, um, parents alike. So I'm looking forward to it. This episode is brought to you by Athletic Greens, the most comprehensive NSF certified for sport daily nutritional supplement I've ever tried. With so many stressors in life, it's difficult to maintain effective nutritional habits and give our bodies the nutrients they need to thrive. As a father of three young kids and a co-founder of multiple businesses in multiple states, on top of still being an avid exerciser, I know that busy schedules can really take their toll on us. Whether it's poor sleep, exercise or life stressors, environmental factors, or simply not eating enough of the right foods, we can wind up deficient nutritionally. This is where Athletic Greens can really help. It's a game-changing nutritional insurance policy. They simplify the logistics of getting optimal nutrition on a daily basis by giving you just one thing with all the best things. And that's why I use it daily and recommend it to our athletes. One scoop of Athletic Greens contains 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients, including a multivitamin, multimineral, probiotic, green superfood blend, and more. They work together to fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, increase energy and focus, aid in digestion, recovery, and supporting of a healthy immune system. This all can happen without taking multiple products. While most nutritional products come to market and stay stagnant, Athletic Greens continues to obsessively improve this one holistic formula based on the latest research, producing 53 improvements over the last decade. They invest in the most absorbable and natural source of each ingredient and go above and beyond in third-party testing to ensure their customers continue to receive the highest quality and best daily nutritional habit on the planet. It's lifestyle-friendly, whether you're keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free, and contains less than one gram of sugar without compromising on taste. They put 75 ingredients to the NSF for Sport certification to come up with a formula that's trusted by some of the world's best athletes, including our own. Right now, Athletic Greens is giving our listeners 10 free travel packets with their subscription. Simply go to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy to receive my offer. These travel packs are perfect for supporting your immune system, energy, and gut health when you're traveling for games, training, or simply when you're on the go. They can be a great counterbalance to less than ideal on-the-road food options. So if you want to bridge the gap between deficient and optimal and give yourself the best chance to get nutrient diversity, then head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and get your 10 free travel packets today. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y. Today's guest was raised in Virginia and attended the University of Virginia as a third baseman and then outfielder. After his junior year, he was drafted in the fifth round of the MLB draft by the Chicago Cubs in 2007. After the 2010 season, he was traded to the Tampa Bay Rays, who called him up to the big leagues in May of 2011. In his first major league at bat, he had a two-run home run. In the years that followed, he became a mainstay in the big leagues with the Rays before being traded to the Cleveland Indians in 2016, a year in which he led the big leagues in hit-by-pitches. After an appearance with Cleveland in the World Series in 2016, he stayed with the organization through the end of 2018. He announced his retirement in 2020, ending his career with 517 MLB games played, a career 250 average, and a 339 on base percentage. Please welcome to the show, Brandon Geyer. Hey, Brandon, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, welcome to the show. Hey, my pleasure, man. Thanks for having me. 
I'm actually really excited for this because um, I think a lot of times with this show, I, I know guys really well, you know, they, they train with us or things like that. And you're a guy like I, I you know, running joke. I know you on TV. I know you on the internet. I, I watched you play in the outfield behind, you know, Kluber and Brandon Gomes, and a lot of those guys uh, in the outfield with Sam Fold all those years. Um, and I always just admired the way that you played and, and, and respected you from afar. So um, it's cool to see that you're still staying super involved in the game in retirement and, and obviously doing some cool stuff, which we'll talk about. But I, I think maybe the, the best place to start is, you know, you know, digging a little deeper on you is you were a standout football player in high school. Um, and I think we both know, unfortunately, that's kind of a dying breed, the multi-sport athlete and you know, you're seeing 16 year olds that are throwing a hundred and, you know, selling out for the baseball dream. Can, can you talk a little bit about how, you know, being a multi-sport athlete really impacted, you know, your developmental path on the baseball side of things? Yeah, man. I'm glad you're bringing that up. Cause that, um, that, that's hard to see nowadays where so many athletes are just playing, whether it's baseball or whatever sport year round. And I'm like, just think of the, how it's hurting their development and, you know, whether it's physical or mental development hurting so much. Um, but yeah, I was, I was drawn to all sports. My, my parents, you know, never told me I hey, do this sport. I, it was always up to me. So they just wanted me to do what I had the most fun doing. And I think that's the name of the game. You're like do something that you're having fun. You're not pressured to play. Um, so what it does, I just really think as I'm sure, you know, it increases your athletic development it, it, it limits overuse injury, even though I had a couple of Tommy Johns and I actually had a Tommy John when I was 12 years old oh, wow. uh, and I didn't even play baseball year round. Um, but it's going to limit that. It's going to limit burnout. Um, so, so thankful that my parents uh, were not pushing me in one direction. Let me kind of experience a little bit of everything. Um, and that's what when I'm talking to athletes or parents nowadays, like I'm always pushing that play at all sports. I remember getting recruited, recruited to the university of Virginia, the coaches there and specifically Kevin McMullen. Mm-hmm. He, they love recruiting yeah. multi-sport athletes. And I think a lot of colleges do. Um, so I think we got to keep that in mind um, as youth athletes that a college is like this. They don't want someone really, you know, obviously they'll go after some of the younger players that are just playing one sport, but if you stand out, but for the majority, they like those multi-sport athletes. So yeah. Yeah. I think we, you know, and obviously even in the realm you're in now, like you appreciate that, you know, play multiple sports, it's, it's different social circles too, you know, and, and you realize, you know, you go from high school to college, you're going to play summer ball, you get to pro ball. I mean, you were, you were Cubs, you were Rays, you were Indians, you were, you know, White Sox Giants, like you, you played in all these different organizations. That's a different collection of teammates at every level as well as you have to learn to adjust to different surroundings. And I, I was worried about that, that one kid who just plays with the same 19 other kids year round. I mean, do you think that it just gave you a little bit of adjustability just with, I mean, you're a guy from Virginia who's walking into clubhouses with players from Venezuela and the Dominican Republic, Japan, you name it. Yeah. You know, I haven't thought about that much, but that makes total sense. And that's, I think that's kind of more the, the mental side of it. Like you're, mm-hmm. you're able to adjust quicker because you've been playing with all different sorts of players, mm-hmm. all different sorts of attitudes, all different sorts of routines, people getting ready. And then I think through that, you're able to kind of come up with your own system or protocol mm-hmm. that works best for you. So yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. I totally agree. Were you, you were a you were a standout athlete, obviously in Virginia. You wound up at the University of Virginia. Was that like the you know the kid in Nashville that just wants to go to to Vanderbilt, or was there appeal of you like leaving the state, or did you want to be close to home? What was the uh, what was what led you there? Yeah. So the funny part about that was is my first three years in high school, I was an average or below average baseball player. Um, I was set after junior year to play football at Virginia or go play football somewhere else, mm-hmm. um, and it just so happened. So I read a book called. 
Heads Up Baseball. There you go. Other books by Harvey Dorfman and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, I, I knew that it, it was my mindset limiting me more than anything else because I had the phys- I had pretty good physical skills. Um, so going into senior year, read that book and just dove in. Didn't just read it. Literally, I think that's what too many um, young athletes do. They, they read this stuff or they listen to podcasts or whatever, but then they don't do the most, most important part, applying it to mm-hmm. life to sports. Um, so I literally applied it every single day and it changed everything went off. And then, you know, the first, uh, coach that came to my house for a recruiting visit was Brian O'Connor at UVA mm-hmm. and UVA back in 2004, they weren't necessarily a powerhouse. Like they were in the mm-hmm. ACC pretty good. Um, but he sold me, he's like, we are coming in, we are changing this program. And it just so happened. It was two hours away from where I grew up <laughs> in Northern Virginia. And man, he just came, he sold me. I didn't go on any other recruiting uh, like mm-hmm. official visit after Virginia, I was like, I'm in, let's go. Um, so that's kind of how it came about. But yeah. you know, before senior year, I was not expecting to play college baseball. It was uh, quite a quite a shift. That's awesome. So and, and you you maybe you know you led in my next question is I'm I'm really always fascinated by guys' developmental paths. Um and you obviously took a, a big step forward at Virginia, I played in the Cape Cod Baseball League, you know, you know, obviously had a great couple of years there. And and, and I'm interested is you know that kind of continued when you got to pro ball, right. And you, you, you kind of skyrocketed through the minor leagues and I mean, hit 340, 350, 360 at, at various levels. And and then you get to the big leagues and we both know the big leagues are really hard, right. It's, it's one thing making it, it's another thing altogether to, to actually stick there. You know, what were the adjustments that you feel like you had to make, whether that was college to pro ball, different levels of pro ball, or just, you know, going from triple A to the big leagues for that first time. Yeah. So, um, even just the high school to college, my first year in college, I think I hit like 280, um, and Mm -hmm. didn't start right away. And I think that was an adjustment, you know, a a part of me thought I was a little exonerated from, Mm -hmm. you know, I had this scholarship already worked on the mental game a lot. I was like, okay, I'm good. Going to college, that game sped up even more when you get to college. And then I was like, okay, I need to work even harder on that mental game. Realize no matter what you achieve, you're never exonerated. So I went all back into the mental game, even more books, applying, 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 working with mental skills coaches, um, and then getting to the minor leagues. Um, You might have missed a year there because I skipped low A in 2008 Mm -hmm. and went to double A Tennessee. After 200 Mm -hmm. at-bats, I was hitting 190. Mm -hmm. And it was a turning point for me. So I got sent down from double A. And uh, man, that first year in double A, I thought that, man, I can't hit double A pitching. Mm-hmm. What the heck? <laughs> like I'm doing everything I can and it just wasn't, but it was something I needed to go through. It was one of those throughout the rest of my career. I could always look at back on that year, that situation when I couldn't even hit my weight, the first 200 of bats. And I was like, if I could make it through that, get sent down and finish that year really strong in high A. And then next year when double A player of the year, what I'm going through now, it's nothing. Um, so, so thankful that it happened, but then getting to the big leagues, um, it was a struggle because I was used to playing every single day. I get up there. I'm all of a sudden the platoon guy and playing mostly against lefties every now and then they would give me a little bone and let me play against righties, which was a mental game in itself because it's like, Oh God, I'm playing against righties. I need to get a hit here so I can play against more righties. Um, that was another, uh, you know, mental side of it to get like a little hurdle there. But, um, Yeah, I think getting to the big leagues, getting used to that role and playing that role really well and not trying to be somebody else, realizing that after talking to coaches and all that, okay, Brandon, for the most part, this is going to be your role. And then so I went all in. I'm just going to be the best platoon player, the best teammate that I can possibly be because it's a little easier to get to the big leagues. It's hard to stay there. And so for me to stay there, I knew I had to play that role well. 
helped mm-hmm. the team win any way I could, play good defense, um, hit lefties really well. So all that kind of stuff, um, kind of like the journey of my career there. I'm glad you, you brought up the double experience because I, I saw that in the stat line and, and maybe didn't have context for it because it, it's interesting. I think there's this, this heavy debate in baseball, you know, like the, the successes and the struggle. It seems like you benefited from that. And then we have the other end of the, you know, kind of spectrum where we, we have coaches that think it's like, oh my gosh, you might, you might mentally crush them. You know, hear about, you know, 20 year olds going to the big leagues too soon. And we, we feel like that, it, you know, it can really set them back, kill their confidence. All that is, you know, where do you stand on that argument? Is it, is it very player, player dependent? Is it dependent on the, the resources that they have around them? Um, you know, where, what's your, what's your frame of mind on it? Man, I think everyone's different. Just yeah. like, you know, when teaching like, pre-game routines or in-game routines where like really the mental game lives what works for somebody else isn't gonna there's no the way i think you Mm got to find your way and continue to make adjustments so like when it comes to players getting to the big leagues i think everyone's just you know idiosyncratically wired differently some Mm -hmm. people can handle that pressure some people can handle that adversity and failure that is going to happen others can't um and i know first off like an example, if I were to get drafted out of high school and gone right to the pros, I don't think I would have done well. I wasn't ready maturity wise and time man, all a whole bunch of things go into it. I wasn't ready for that. Whereas yeah. someone else that age could be in the big leagues like Bryce Harper and stuff and thrive. You know, yeah. I think everyone's different. Um, the way they progress in their career physically and mentally to be ready for that moment just differs. It really does. And um yeah, I think it's up to the front office and everyone else to decide, is this kid going to be able to handle it? Is it going to ruin his mindset? He comes up and he struggles really bad and then he's yeah. never going to be able to do it. Uh, so it's definitely an interesting uh, factor there. I think it probably depends on, um, you know, where they're playing as well. Like there's certainly certain some markets who that, are, that aren't expecting to go out and win the World Series, right? And, you know, when we deal with young athletes, a lot of times, you know, training is all about giving them opportunities to fail with no consequences, you know, like where they have to learn their way around movements and, you know, you, you see guys that are, you know, getting blown up in BP with, you know, with cutters at 45 feet and things like that, because that's the time when it's okay to fail and it doesn't impact things. And yeah. that's hard, that's hard to do in some markets that are always about winning is that there's, there's no opportunity to fail with no consequences. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm sure that plays into discussion as well. Yeah. And I remember, so I, I got drafted by the Cubs and I was in double A with them and man, it worked out great. I got, I was all like, pretty much blocked there. They had Soriano and a couple other guys in the big leagues, Marlon Bird and some others. I wasn't going to, I wasn't getting up there anytime soon. So getting traded to the Rays and then the next year making my debut, it just worked out perfectly because it was a really good situation. Smaller market team, still very competitive. Um, but yeah, the situation you're in, like you just said, Ken is, is definitely a big part of it. You, you hinted this a little bit. Um, you know, I saw you a lot over the years, you know, both in Tampa and, and in Cleveland, but you know, something that immediately stood out to me is you, you seem to have like a, a lot of self-awareness. It's like you, you understood what your role was, whether it's, you know, taking a hit by pitch, playing good defense, running the bases aggressively, obviously um, playing against lefties. You know, was that something that, you know, you, you actively understood, like you, you figured it out on your own. Was it the kind of thing where a manager or a bench coach or somebody like that pulled you aside Um you know, kind of explain, this is how you're going to stick on this roster. Where where did that awareness come from? Yeah. So I think it started, you know, I think those first three years in in high school, um, struggling a lot. Once again, so glad it happened. I needed it. Um, And I think nowadays, if you're not signing as a freshman and sophomore, people are freaking out where, Hey, I didn't sign until I was a senior. Um, And there's other very good players like that too, but it took that time to really, I needed to go through that failure. Failure, struggle, triggers growth a lot of times if you learn from it. Um, so 
took all that, learned from it senior year. Going in, into Virginia, wasn't starting right away. So once again, talking to the coaches there, figuring out what I got to do. Um, and funny story, I was actually recruited as a third baseman, and we had Ryan Zimmerman. So for a couple games, I would play third, and he played shortstop. And <laughs> I made too many errors, so they put me in the outfield for good. Um, but then it was like, okay, if I'm going to be an outfielder now, I got to be all in. I got to be all in if I want to get onto that field and play – you know, that role well, even though don't be pissed and blame and complain others. It was my fault. I wasn't good at third. Now I got to do everything there. And then as continue to go up the levels, I think when I got to the big leagues, it kind of just evolved my role. Um, I didn't know initially that was going to be my role in the big leagues. Um, but then once I got there and after like a month or so, I realized I'm not starting against righties. And then mm -hmm. talking to Joe Madden, like Davey Martinez, the bench guys, you know, I, they hinted it and stuff like that. So yeah, I got it in my head. Okay, at least for now, this is going to be my role. So just do your absolute best to put yourself in the best position to succeed. And you bringing up the self-awareness, that I mean, that's everything. You have to know yourself. You have to know really who you are at your absolute best. Because when you're struggling inevitably with baseball or life in general, to be able to you know flip the switch or create that confidence or just put yourself in the best position to succeed, especially when it matters most, you have to have self-awareness to know who you are at your absolute best. Um, so I think really just try to develop that. And, and I think three main things for that, how I carried myself, my body language, how I would focus, present moment focus, most importantly, self-talk. Okay, what am I doing with all three of those when I'm at my absolute best? Okay, then have the awareness when I'm starting to spiral down, when I'm not do playing like I should or acting or living like I should. Okay, then you got to stop that st downward spiral, spiral back up by knowing who you are and acting like that. Because when you start acting like it, then you become it. You're not faking yeah. it. You just know who you are at your best. So I'm glad you brought up self-awareness. Self-awareness is really everything. Um, so, yeah. I always talk to athletes, you know, and probably maybe in the context of the mental side of things, but it, it certainly relates to the physical aspect of it is like you have how well stressors get access to you, what the actual stressor is, which is, is person specific. And then, you know, how do you respond to it? So like, you know, if we're talking about social media, like you have the option to just not be on social media. People can't yell on you on Twitter if you're not on Twitter. Right. Mm -hmm. And then there's like, what are they saying? Are they saying horrific things to you? Or are they telling you you stink at baseball? Like it's, there's many levels of, of, of abrasiveness that you can encounter online. And then there's like, do you get angry? Do you shout back at this? Do you, do you shrug it off and just laugh at them? There's, there's all these different levels. And I, I think those are very learned skills. And some people just get to the point, like we have a, a very well-known big leaguer who's, who's on social media. And one day he's like, yeah, I have a, I have like a timer on my app. He's like, I get two minutes on Instagram a day. So I don't get stuck in anything stupid. It's like, it's a really impressive level of self-awareness. And he's like a, super mellow guy that it, it can't fluster him at all. So like, uh -huh. it sounds like you, you did that in the, in the air probably before social media is what it is now. Uh, yeah. You're, that's a good call with social media because even if you're not trying to pay attention to all that stuff, I think it just lives in your subconscious. You. You're going to be thinking out, out there on the field. Oh, what if I mess up? Well, now what are they going to say about me? And you might be having those thoughts. I almost like the, you probably heard, I don't know if you've heard the story of the two mm -hmm. wolves, like the positive, negative, loving, yeah. hateful, all that stuff. When you're reading that stuff, I feel like you're feeding that yeah. negative bad wolf, you know, negative self-image wolf. And then, you know, during the game, it's back there. So, you know, which one you feed the most is what's going to come out the most. And I think that your self-image and everything is huge when you are playing at that, whatever level you're at. But playing at the highest level, you know, the game's so, so fast, the talent gap's so small. Um, but 
what you're saying with that player, that's amazing self-awareness to be able to do that. And um, one, one thing I really talk about is, you know, set these, create your identity, which, you know, identity literally means repeated beingness. So who are you at your best? I do three things on the field, off the field, in the classroom, you know, if they're still in school. So on the field, who are you at your best? And then it's, okay, what qualities do you embody for that? But then also what actions and behaviors? So for like that guy, action and behavior, set a target for two minutes on Instagram. Mm -hmm. And then once you have those, dude, self-awareness through the roof, and then you're able to play free and loose because free and loose is literally everything in this game. And whether it's youth players not able to because of all the pressure from coaches or their parents and all that stuff, they can never play free and loose. And that's why some end up quitting and that's why they don't perform to the highest level. So literally everything I'm doing now personally and when I played is to help each and every athlete get to the point where they can play free and loose. That's the name of the game. Um, So I know I kind of went off there, but I, I, no, it's it's great feedback. It's like this concept of bandwidth. And and I think, you know, I, I see it a lot. Like you have, you know, you have little leaguers, you have big leaguers and, different people have different capacities. Like personally, I can, I can deal with a million different crazy things on a, on a regular basis. And like I, I jump in the gym and I, it's, it's the place where I blow off steam and I can tune out every distraction in the world because I know that's what kind of gets me right. But there are other people and we've seen, you know, players that are going through divorces or, you know, sick family members, whatever it is. And it, it really does detract from what they do on the field because yeah. they, they don't have the same kind of bandwidth that maybe a teammate has. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's a great example of how this stuff is so kind of context dependent. Um, one thing I did want to bring up that I thought I think is really cool, even if it's just to to highlight it and, and maybe reiterate something that's so valuable is, you know, your, your guy had a great big league career and, and you're still super involved in the game. And you literally outlined three, you know, probably even more times when you struggled, when you were, to be honest, underappreciated as a baseball player, right? You struggled with the first three years of, of high school, you know, we're late to be recruited. You get to the university of Virginia, you have to change positions. You get to pro ball, you know, when, when you go to double a and you struggle, you go to the big leagues and realize you're not going to be a regular and you've got to recalibrate there's so many parents out there right now that, that want to be, you know, they're not even helicopter parents anymore. They're snowplow parents. They want to pave their way. They want to make things easier. And I just think in the big picture, we have so many people that have no idea how many late bloomers there are. Um, I, I actually did this one. I've, I've talked about this on a previous podcast. Um, we were doing New Balance area code camps um, one fall. I had some travel coming up and um brought up that it was coming up and it was, I want to say it was like fall of 16 and it was right when Max Scherzer had started up with us and Scherzer was like, what are the area code games? Like didn't even know what they were. And I mean, we're talking about like, you know, Clayton Kershaw was there. Dustin Pedroia was there. Those, you know, a lot of the better players of our generations had been there and Max didn't even know, you know, Max was, you know, he's drafted out of high school, but he was, you know, he had no idea where the ball was going. He needed college on a number of fronts. And it was really interesting because we probably had 40 big leaguers that came in that day to the facility you know, a lot of big time dudes, we pulled them. The only one that came in that day that had gone to area code games was Sam Fult. He was like the greatest player in the history of, of New Hampshire. Um, and he obviously wound up at Stanford, had a great career there. But it was like stunning to me that we're literally talking about like 95% of big leaguers weren't even like what we would call, probably call standout high school players. They weren't top 240 players in the country, you know, particularly in their own region. So it just, it blew my mind has that been your experience? Like as you both played at the big league level, like we both know Corey Kluber, like he went to Stetson, he didn't go to Texas, he didn't go to Florida. You played with a lot of those guys. Um, did you see way more late bloomers in the big leagues? And even now in your, your work with a lot of these guys on the, on the private side? 
Yeah, that's interesting. Um, one who all, all comes to my mind right away is Kevin Kiermeyer. I think he was like 30-something round, whereas yeah. if there was a draft right now, he probably wouldn't have been drafted because of the rounds, you know. Um, but so I, th- I think I've seen a mix of both. You, ha- you have your studs that end up making it who are studs yeah. like their whole life. Yeah. But what I see a lot, man, is um, and saw when I was young, you got these early bloomers that yeah. are just dominating Little League and then playing travel ball or playing year-round and then getting to high school all of a sudden they stopped growing. They haven't had the work ethic because they haven't needed to because everything was so easy for them. And then people are catching up to them. I feel like I see that more than the other way around. Um, And I can count, you know, I actually have a list somewhere of all these players in high school who were getting all district, all state. I was struggling those first three years. You know, I don't think any of them made it. One or two made it to college, big leagues, no, but none of them. Um, So I think, as parents and young players, we got to stop worrying about other people. We got to just focus on what we can do each and every day to get a little bit better. That's the name of the game. What can you do every day? A little bit, a lot, not a lot, a little. Um, and just every day do that. And then everything else is going to take care of itself. But to answer your question, I think it's a good mix. I, I really yeah. We interrupt this episode with a quick reminder that this podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. It's an NSF certified all-in-one superfood supplement with 75 whole food sourced ingredients designed to support your body's nutritional needs. I use this product daily and a ton of our athletes do as well. Head to athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy and claim my special offer today for 10 free travel packs with your first purchase. I'd encourage you to give it a shot too, especially because of this great offer and because it gives you peace of mind knowing that you're covering all your nutritional bases. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash Cressy, C-R-E-S-S-E-Y to get that special offer. Nice. So I, I always joke with like retired guys that we've had on. We had you know, Will Middlebrooks and Tom Kohler and, uh, you know, Kevin Euclid, a lot of guys who have come on and been great guests. I love their answers because they can be brutally honest, right? They can, they can really illustrate just how hard this game. Um, and, and normally we talk to guys in the you know, heart of their career, they're not going to give away their best secrets and I wouldn't expect them to, but you're, you're retired. You can spill the billion beans. Like what was impossible for you to hit? What did you struggle with? You know, obviously what did you feast on? You know, were there certain mm-hmm. pitchers that, you know, you absolutely hated to face and guys that you seem to have better results with for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the pitch that gave me the most trouble was a righty, righty changeup or splitter, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. And I remember yeah. I was playing with Alex Cobb in Tampa. Yeah. I remember talking to him. I'm like, why do not all, you know, and James Shields did it yeah. also the righty, righty changeup or lefty, lefty changeup. I think you're starting to see it a lot more nowadays, but yeah. back then I was like, why are not, why is not everyone? I'm so glad not everyone's doing it. Cause it's the <laughs> hardest fish to see and pick up and actually stay back on and, and hit good at a good contact point. So that that's the pitch that I struggle with the most, I would say. Uh, what I like the, the pitch the best, I think middle away, able to get extended. Um, you know, a lot of pitchers like to pitch me in a lot. You know, I wasn't necessarily crowding the plate, but they like to pitch me in. I think they know that, you know, that pitch was what I liked. Um, as far as pitchers, uh, really enjoyed facing a Rodas Chapman just because of the, um, the battle, the competition, um, the moment where I got to face him the most in the, in the World Series right here. And he threw a lot of fastballs. Mm-hmm. You know, as a hitter, it can be so fast. But if you're seeing that majority of the time, eventually you're going to time up and sync with it. Doesn't mean it's easy, but it gets a little, you know, I enjoyed that. David Price, I, I like to face. Um, he was a teammate with my, of mine for a little and then faced him a good amount. And then, you know, who owned me the most was CC Sabathia. I, I think I'm like one or two for 30 something off of him. It was always, I just feel like he's like this big lineman 
as you know, <laughs> big body. And I just would literally, I feel like roll over to short or third every time, no matter. I could visualize success as much as I want. It, it didn't matter. I could do every mental trick in the book. <laughs> he just owned me for whatever reason. So. Not many lefties can say that about you, right? <laughs> yeah, he definitely can. He definitely can. Um, so, you know, hitting's changed a lot in the, in the, in the past few years and, and obviously pitching even more so. I'm curious, like when you look back on your career, I mean, obviously you see guys doing high speed, um, you know, on the machines, they're doing way more random practice. They're hitting with foam balls. They're, you know, the days of just kind of grooving low key BP are, are slowly going away. Do you look back and say, Hey, if I had had some of this technology, you know, five, 10 years ago, things would have been really different for you. Do you, how would it have impacted your approach? Yeah, that's interesting. You know what? Later on in my career, I started to try to utilize the technology, whether uh, hit tracks or the thing on the bottom of your knob. Yeah. I was never a fan of it. Uh, for me, it was like the less I think and the mm. less I'm trying, the better I do. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to those hitting tools, yeah. I wasn't always a big fan because I would see like the hit tracks. I would get want to get like the highest exit velocity, yeah, get out of my swing, get tense. And um, I feel like it messed me up a little bit. But I what I do love and I think it's the best thing is either a machine high mm. velo or a bp pitcher high mm. like throwing pretty hard but mixing yeah. up the pitches yeah. i think because you're training your eyes right there so i think that's the absolute best mm-hmm. did, um, you watch, did you watch a lot of video pregame as well were you big on scouting stuff um opposing a little like with the indians they had like tvs throughout the clubhouse right. and like before the game I would, they would have the starting pitcher up i would just yeah. watch a little watch video of me against him in the past and see mm-hmm. what he's done against me and yeah. what i've done against him that worked um but I, I wouldn't get too too crazy with that because once again the less i'm thinking you know oh two one count he what do you throw 30 percent of the time he throws this you know mm-hmm. like so i that doesn't work for me while other players looking at video and knowing that kind of stuff, knowing like the umpire's zone and all that, they can do it. They like it. They, they're wired that way. Um, personally for me, didn't, didn't really love it. Um, you know, one thing I, I'm actually really fascinated about and, and actually talked about this a little bit with, with Kevin Euclid, Um, but you know, a theme that resounds throughout your careers is one of like plate discipline. Um, you know, there were years in your career when like you're hit by pitch, which usually was a league leader, um, you know, added with your walks was, was just about even with your strikeout numbers. I'm curious, were there specific practices that you used to develop, you know, plate discipline? Um, you know, like, do you have suggestions for aspiring players who want to just have, you know, better swing decisions and, and pitch recognition? Yeah, so it's funny you bring that up. I, I feel like when it comes to plate discipline, for me, I, I was a super aggressive hitter. I went up there just I wanted to hit. I didn't want to walk. Um, so I didn't actually walk a ton. Mm-hmm. Um, but those hit by pitch, like you mentioned, yeah. kind of got those numbers, you know, and got that on base percentage up there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll tell you right now, I never, never went up to the plate looking to ever mm-hmm. get hit. It just ended up happening because lefties yeah. would pitch me in a lot. When I would stride, my front foot would kind of go, you know, in towards the chalk. And I just, mm-hmm. I think I wired, I, I trained myself and I wired to, once we talked about earlier, whatever you can do to help the team. Yeah. Look at hit by pitch, same as a single. Let the guys behind yeah. drive me in. You're getting on base. Then you have chances yeah. to steal, score runs, help your mm-hmm. team. And, I mean, I got hit 90 or so times in the big leagues, never missed the game one. I mean, obviously, yeah. you can get unlucky and get hurt. Um, mm-hmm. But the odds of you getting a very horrible injury, yeah, it's mm-hmm. going to be painful for a little, but it goes yeah. away. So I just kind of wired myself to not be afraid to be getting hit by pitch. And I know just from retiring and I would make a post about five tips to get over the fear of hit by pitch. Mm-hmm. And literally everyone's reaching out. What are they? 
what are they? <laughs> so many youth athletes that I didn't yeah. realize when I played that have the fear of getting hit yeah. and quitting early because mm -hmm. of it. Um, and it's tough to see. So, you know, what I would say to athletes out there is you can train yourself not to want to get hit, but train yourself that it doesn't matter if you get hit. You're not yeah. going to get hurt. It's, you're going to look at it like you just got a single. You can mm -hmm. practice it. Get a softball or something. If you really yeah. have that fear, have someone throw a softball and practice getting out of the way the right way. But I mm -hmm. think the most important is have an amazing pre-pitch routine. And mm -hmm. when you're hitting, be so focused on your approach, whether you're trying to hit a line drive the right center field or line drive right up the middle whatever pitch you're looking for. Cause if you're not, then you're going to be thinking in your yeah. head that Wolf we talked about is going to be thinking, yeah. oh God, get ready. If it's inside move, you know, mm -hmm. instead of, okay, let's see the ball, hit the ball, crush it. So um, that's what I would pass on. You know, I didn't have the greatest plate discipline, but when it comes to hitting, I feel like I have the experience now and knowledge to help a lot of players with that fear of getting hit by pitch. So hopefully that helps. That's really good feedback. Um, you know, and it, you know, it's, it, it's timely too, because we know hit by pitches in baseball are up, you know, the last couple of years. I think it has a lot to do with, you know, pitchers who just have nastier stuff, bigger velo than ever before. Mm -hmm. um, and all that guys, guys are learning like new sliders on the internet and trying in major league games <laughs> the next day. So it's a, it's a different world and it's definitely happening at higher rates. Yeah. And, you know, we're even seeing it from like an injury standpoint, more and more like, you know, wrist and fingers, things like that, that are getting hit by pitches, becoming more of like kind of in, injured list scenarios. Yeah. Um, maybe it's part of a, a bigger discussion. You know, a lot of people are, you know, they're calling baseball ugly nowadays because of, you know, more strikeouts, you know, uh, you know, the crazy reliance on the shift, all these different things. Games are, are going too long. Like, do, do you think baseball is, is trending in a good direction, a bad direction? Like, wh where do you see this going in the years ahead, both in terms of like, you know, untapped market inefficiencies and, you know, how can we make the game ugly, less ugly if you actually do feel like it is? I mean, if I'm going to be honest, if I'm a fan watching the game i'm not really into you know all these strikeouts and stuff like that i'm into just a lot of action um obviously home runs are up those are fun to watch but you know you're getting so much so many strikeouts yeah. and shifts and everything i don't know to me it takes away the fun a little bit and um i wouldn't enjoy it as much mm -hmm. if i was a fan watching personally mm -hmm. um but how we can how we can bring it back. I thought a good start with getting the DH in the national league. I thought yeah. that helped. That is a big, big turn. Um, but I just think it, it, it ebbs and flows like the strikeouts are up. Pitchers are yeah. doing this thing. Then hitters are going to, you know, make the adjustments eventually. I think it's just going to kind of go, keep going back and forth. Yeah. Um, so like, I don't know, just one or two set yeah. things to do. I don't know, but I think the DH in the national league is, is a yeah. great way to start. I think we're starting to see it already. I think uh, even just in the first like week or so of the season, like um, swing and miss on four seams is way, way down. Guys are, guys are practicing it more. They're all hitting high below on the machine. And, and that high you know, pitch too. Get yeah. That. yeah. We go through these iterations of everyone wants to throw four seams and you, you hear about the elite ones, but we don't realize that there are a whole bunch of guys who, who throw mediocre four seams who are just trying it out. And those guys start getting hit. And then yeah. there's always kind of that market correction. Yeah. Um, you know, as you look back and we, we kind of talked about um, a little bit with respect to technology and stuff, but, you know, what resources now could have made you better? Like, I know you're, you're obviously huge in the mental skills world now. Did you did you feel like those resources were, were there for you enough or was that something that you you started doing like in, in retirement because you realized there was such a shortage of them in the, in the, in the pro game? Yeah. So when it comes to the mental side, um, you know, back in 2000. 
2003 when I was struggling at uh, Herndon High School in, in Northern Virginia, not many um, people, if anyone, were talking about mental performance. Luckily, um, that book I showed you, a coach told me about it going into senior year. Um, but I would say nowadays, there's so much more talk about it. There's so many yeah. more resources, whether you go to YouTube or whatever you can find. There's books, podcasts. Um, so I think that would have helped so much. The, the first three years of my career in high school, what I feel would have been drastically different. Um, but in a way, I'm glad it, you know, it, I didn't because like I said, those failures, I was able to learn and get to know myself even better. And then every single year, I got more and more into the mental game. And, you know, I told you this book written by Ken Revisa. Fast forward seven years after reading it, you know, he's the sports psychologist with the That's Tampa Bay Rays as he follows Joe Madden everywhere. So yeah. I get to talk to him like, again, you changed the trajectory of my life with your book. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. And then I get to work with him one-on-one. So pretty much all my big league career, I got to have a coach, whether it was him, yeah. um, a couple of others, a guy I literally had on call. And once again, just because I knew all this stuff didn't mean I still, you know, it was easy. Yeah. I still struggle mentally. And I, I always like to tell people when they ask, like, does it mean it's just like everything became a lot easier for you? Mm-hmm. I say, no. It, what it did was it didn't take me out of the game when I was yeah. struggling at all the levels I would have been done if I didn't already work on these yeah. mental skills. And I think a lot of people wait too late to when they really need it. Mm-hmm. Then, Oh, now I'm going to get a mental coach, but it could yeah. be the end of your road. If you, you know, so um, yeah, the mental side of the game would have helped so much early on in my career. But nowadays I feel like every minor league has a, someone they can talk to um, college is getting out there in high school and all that. But yeah, I still don't even think it's talked about enough. That's yeah. why I am doing what I'm doing. I took my obsession. You know, I, the physical side is super important. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. physical skills plus mental skills equals any athlete yeah. unlocked. So you need both. But I was obsessed with both sides, but specifically the mental side because mm-hmm. I knew how it changed my life. So that's why I am so obsessed and started right when I retired doing this because um, I saw what it did for me and so many other players out there. That's awesome. No, so I'm curious. So obviously your success with it, the difference it made for you drew you to that realm and realized it was kind of a, a post-career calling. Did you see maybe specific shortcomings in the way that it was offered to players, whether it was just like the, a lack of, you know, total resources for, you know, the hundreds of thousands of players out there? Was it specific ways that maybe these things were given to athletes? Was it just the, Hey, you know, social media opens up this, you know, larger opportunity for, to distribute this important information? Like what, where were the holes, I guess, in the industry that you thought we needed to address? Yeah. So I thought I, I, I had a, I could differentiate myself because I played at the highest level on the mm-hmm. biggest stage of all the world yeah. series. So I had that aspect, but then obviously, okay, I was good using it for myself and as a player mm-hmm. now, okay, I need to become the best coach I can be. Cause just because it worked for me, like we talked about a couple of times, doesn't mean it's going to work for everybody. And mm-hmm. so I, I went through a, a guy named Brian Kane. I went through yeah. his certification. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's hard to beat Brian Kane yeah. went through a couple others, got certified. So now I, I wanted to take what I learned, my on-field experience now getting trained by the best of the best in the mental game. And I just truly believe there's no one yeah. out there that can do that. And so where I think I know what it's like to be in players' shoes because I failed and I struggled at every single level. So when they're going through it, I've been in their shoes. I know what it's like when you're over 10 or over 30. I don't know if you could, and in no way am I bashing any minor league or any mental performance coach out there. But I feel like a lot of them have never been in the shoes on field, real experience. 
whether trust me, they're still mm-hmm. great, but mm-hmm. that's where I differentiate myself. And, um, but I don't know if there's a big hole, um, mm-hmm. but I just knew I was so passionate about it. Mm-hmm. And this was my calling to help yeah. positively impact as many players lives on and off the field. So we've been talking about sports the whole time. Yeah. I'm telling you the players that come through my full intention is make them the best person they could be. Cause yeah. then it's going to transfer. You're going to be able to handle failure, adversity, pressure, challenges that come inevitably mm-hmm. with baseball and life and makes them better. So that is really the biggest part of the program, build mm-hmm. a person, then boom on the field, they're much better. And then they're set up for life, no matter what they're doing. Cause it directly mm-hmm. translates to every single thing. I was only 35 when I retired. Mm-hmm. I had so many things to do now, like mm-hmm. years in my life, but because I've been working on these my whole life, it directly translated. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of why I'm so passionate about it, but mm-hmm. you know, I don't think there's a big hole. I just yeah. knew I differentiated myself from everybody else out there. Yeah. And you know, it's one of the things I, I think is, is really intriguing is you, you look at some of like the best managers in baseball, the guys that are out there doing it very rarely where they sign award winners, MVPs, anything like that. Most of the, the elite, you know, coaches who are having a lot of success. They, they often were like backup catchers. They were super utility players. They were, they were guys that um, understood like what their role was. Um, and, and I'm always fascinated with that. And, and the thing that it comes down to is, I think a lot of times what we don't appreciate about professional athletes is they, they have to be inherently selfish. Like you have to eat when you want to sleep, when you want to train, when you want to, your family schedule works around game time. Like inherently to be a great major league baseball player, you have to be a hundred percent focused on your craft. You know, sometimes to the detriment of like, think about it. How many 4th of July barbecues did you miss for your baseball career? Like, that, that, that was exactly, that was what it was. And coaching takes a complete, different like calibration you have to serve like it is your job to make everybody around you better to empower them to do what they need to do and you know it's interesting in the sense that you had so much self-awareness as a player to know is hey get hit by a pitch and steal second and you know score on a ground ball you know in a big spot all that stuff is is huge because you know it, it in a lot of ways probably prepared you for this day that you were you know in this coaching role to to serve those around you so it's, it's pretty cool to see kind of like Maybe whether you recognize it or not, there was a direct translation between the two. Yeah. And, you know, when I'm talking to athletes, the very first thing I say is I feel like and this might be a little off topic, but not really. The ultimate game that every athlete, every person should be playing. You know, this is from Aristotle thousands of years ago in the positive psychology movement. Now, ultimate game, ultimate purpose of like be the best you. But like you said, in service to something else. So if you're a coach, into service to the athletes. If you're a parent or whatever, in service to your kids. So that's what I try to get across. And that's what I struggle with, I think, the most of those first three years in high school. I was so selfish and all about me. And then obviously you're chasing those results. Yeah. You're not going to get them most of the time. And if you do, science is proving you're less psychologically stable than those who are intrinsically motivated to be their best self. And then you, it's a paradox, you get what all that extrinsic stuff you're after. But I think I was just chasing those results, chasing being popular, chasing being the cool kid. You know, there's no social media back then, but I probably would have been chasing more followers and stuff like that. The moment we can stop playing the wrong game and play the ultimate game, be our best self in service to something bigger than ourselves, literally everything changes. Um, So I think that's where it helped me a lot too, Um, making that shift. And I think having kids initially made that even more so. And Mm -hmm. now literally it's all I'm doing right now. Just trying to be of service like you talked about. 
That's awesome. So, so talk to me about the, the projects you got in the works. Cause I know you've got some, you know, Gabe Kappel, you got Shane Bieber, you got some really cool guests in the mix and guys that you worked with, you know, and were teammates with during your playing career. So talk to us about how you're, you're, you're delivering some of this really good information to the masses. Yeah. So I, I like to call it mental strength training. I know there's mental performance code training. I like to call it mental strength training, but it's still the same mental skills. Um, so basically I do group training online, um, the class just ended. There's another class coming in. I think the first class had over a hundred individual athlete players coming through. It was just baseball. This is baseball and softball. This next one that's on May 12th. So basically every two or three months starting a group training and it lasts for eight weeks. We go over eight milestones. So one a week and then bring on former teammates and coaches of mine. And like Jessica Mendoza, she's coming on for the next class to bring along some softball players. So we do that for eight weeks. Um, and that's just the class portion. And then besides that, I'm just traveling around the country speaking with whether it's high schools, colleges, organizations, whatever it is, just trying to spread the word and, and, and really just take everything that I learned during my career and everything I learned working with some of the top mental performance coaches in the, in the world and, and, and spread the word on it, spread the word on the importance, but also spread the word on what it will do for you or your son or daughter off the field too. Um, so man, just obsessed with this right now. And I think it's my calling and I'm, I'm loving it. I like it, man. Um, so and we'll make sure everybody knows where to find out about you, but we always do a lightning round. This, this, it, it can be as long a response as you are. I don't even know why we call it this, but um, <laughs> so we always wrap up with, tell me about hitters you like to watch in today's game or, or, you know, what, players, just cause I, I think you probably see it from a, a much bigger picture of, you know, defense and all that stuff too. So who do you like to watch right now and why? I think Juan Soto definitely stands out. His approach at the plate, him owning the box, him going up there, and the other guys, Joey Votto. Those two, I, I mean, I like a lot of players, but they stick out because you you can tell yeah. watching them that they have a plan. They know what they're doing in the box. They're not just going up there swinging to swing. Um, and just like the presence and everything, I really enjoy watching them. I was watching Joey Votto the other day, and I was like – his stance looks so different. Like he's all straight up, totally different than I've ever seen him, but you can just tell he gets to the same position, but he still has that same thought process. You can just tell and see it. Um, And then guys like Ronald Cunha Jr., Mike Trout, all those fun guys that really can do it all, you know, not just hitting, but defense and um, space running. So those guys stand out. I love it. All right. So give teenage Brandon Geyer some advice if you could go back in time. Uh, yeah, so I would hit on the uh, what I just said, play the ultimate game. You're playing baseball, yeah. you're playing any sport, but that's not the ultimate game. The ultimate game is becoming the best you in service to something bigger than yourself. So I would say that. Um, and then I would say control the controllables. I, mm-hmm. I, I just way too much would focus on what was out of my control or what mm-hmm. happened in the past or what could happen in the future rather than being right here, right now in the present mm-hmm. moment, which is for the Major League Mindset program, really the main goal help you play free and loose, but get you to, you funnel everything to the present moment. So you can go literally one pitch at a time. Um, One of those things that's harder, it's a lot easier said than done. Control the controllables is the number one skill and it's the foundation of everything I do. So I think that is the number one thing I would tell my younger self. Control the controllables, but don't just say it when you're actually in the heat of the battle and things aren't going your way. Stop being a victim. Be that warrior and ask yourself, what do you want? What needs to get done? Don't blame others. Don't criticize. Don't make excuses. That's what I would tell myself. And then uh, I'm going to throw another one at you. I I use it with some guys and I'm actually really intrigued with your, uh, your response. Give me one of your favorite teammates of all time and why, what, you know, who did you like to to play alongside and and what was the rationale that they stand out as one of your favorites? Hmm. Um, so yeah, a bunch. yeah, I had a bunch. I would say Jan Gomes, one of my yeah. favorite, just because he 
the way he carried himself, the way he prepared, he was one of those guys that I, you know, there's guys up there. I noticed it right away that they're just satisfied to get to the big leagues or they're doing it for the wrong reasons. He's a guy, he's a family man, just a great all around guy, but how he prepared himself each and every game, you could tell him and the pitchers were really close and on the same page. Um, so Jan Gomes always stood out. Love him. He's like a brother. Um, Kevin Kiermeyer is another yeah. guy. I think it stood out his athleticism. And, you know, while I hated being a left or right fielder and I'd be camped under a ball and he'd run and catch it under me, uh, it always stood out what a freak he is, but it doesn't just happen by chance. He was a late round pick and then he put the work in to continue to grow every level. And I just feel like he, his work ethic and he's just a good role. They're both just really good role models on and off the field for all ages and all sports to, to look at. And okay, that's an example of who you need to be as a person or should strive to be as a person and player. Um, so those two stand out. That's awesome. So uh, tell our audience a little bit more. I mean, you got a, you got a great Twitter presence, um, regular content out there. And BrandonGuyer.com is, is the kind of the hub for all your activities. How can people learn more about, you know, what you're doing, the courses you talked about? Yeah. So any social media, BrandonGuyer.com um, really has everything. That's where you can enroll in the um, next class. And yeah, that's pretty much it. Good stuff. I'm excited to check it out myself. And um, hey, man, this was awesome. Thank you so much for taking the time. I think it's, uh, you know, it's one thing to, to like you said, you know, to speak like the mental skills language, learning all together to back it up with some some really, you know, important real world experience at the highest level. So um, I picked up some good tidbits here. So I'm going to I'm going to give this one an extra listen on the on the back end once we get it published. So thanks for taking the time. All right. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it.